0: Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
1: Hello, it's good to have you back. You must be so cultured now since being in Europe.
0: Uh, also with me today is U.S. Gamers' newest edition, who started, oh, it's about a week ago now, a week and a half ago, two weeks. Um, Katie McCarthy, who is our new reviews editor. Welcome aboard.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome yes. to the, the Blood God, <laughs> where blood spills daily.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, as always on this podcast, we talk about RPGs and all of their forms because we love the genre so very much, Western, Japanese, mm. but um, I do know that you are a fan of The Witcher, uh, Witcher 3, right, Katie?
2: Yeah, I'm a huge fan. It's probably one of my favorite games now, like, playing it a bunch, but... You know, I always think I should wait a few years before I declare it as one of my favorite games ever, but I do really love Witcher 3.
0: It's funny because I think I was pretty down on The Witcher 3, actually, on this podcast. I think you were. Yeah, I was a little bit down on it because I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was never able to feel it, but I could really appreciate just what a kind of an amazing... Sort of uh, construction it was, like mm-hmm. how well put together it was, how gorgeous it was, um, how interesting the, con- the 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 various combat moments were, and that sort of thing. Um, so I could appreciate it kind of from afar, even if it left me a little bit cold. But I, I think that I've said this on the podcast before. Um, I'm much more of a, a a mechanics person, and Katie, you're much more of a story person, am I right?
2: I'm somewhat. I feel like they kind of have to work together like I feel like The Witcher 3 like sure the fighting isn't that great in it but it also requires more strategy like you Mm -hmm. have to make sure you have like the right oils and the right potions and you have to like really prep before you like go into a fight so in a way it kind of feels more strategic than most like action RPGs where it's just like yeah you just run in there and hack and slash stuff Mm -hmm.
0: yeah we're kind of the same mind in the kind of the idea of how mechanics and gameplay systems can impact the actual story and Mm -hmm. reflect the story Um, is that kind of fair to say?
2: yeah totally I I definitely agree with that
0: Um, Nadia of course is much more on the story side of things in general like um, uh, I mean Dragon Quest (laughs) Dragon, (laughs) Dragon Quest ultimately like that's like pure story right there
1: yeah, pretty much. And Dragon Quest is really unique in that uh, the story itself is simple like its mechanics, but again, like the mechanics, it's so compelling in its simplicity. It, it just kind of takes that that one idea and polishes it to a T. Uh, even story-wise, I was talking to Bob Mackey on Twitter the other day about how... Uh, Bob we, Mackey? We do we not say his name anymore? No, he's cool.
0: No, we totally see him.
1: Yeah, but um, he was saying how he was playing Dragon Quest 7, and uh, a certain story moment happened, and it was really, really dark. And I said, yeah, when Dragon Quest decides to get dark, it does not screw around.
0: No, 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 no. Uh, same with Persona 4, which oh, yes. we will be talking about in a little bit. Um, but uh, Katie, Katie's on Team Persona 3. Yes, so that's a team I haven't gonna, experienced yet. <laughs> so this is going to be pretty interesting. Um also it was inter- it's kind of important to get Katie's outlook because we're going to be talking about Horizon Zero Dawn which she reviewed. Um to <laughs> I'm sure only you a little bit of controversy. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, just no, not nothing at all. Like it just nope, uh, totally not controversial at all. It was just And <laughs> and we will finish up with a discussion of my current run through Chrono Trigger which I was gushing about <laughs> ridiculously on the website. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, like a nice little bit of happiness and light after um, our discussion of Horizon Zero Dawn. Except for the whole end of the world thing. before that, let's get to our Persona 4 Golden Report. Persona! And I guess this is a special Persona 3 version of our Persona 4 Golden (laughs) Report, Um, which, so okay, uh, Katie, when I first met you, I said, Katie, what is your like one of your favorite games of all time. And she said, well, I love Persona three. And I was like, Ooh, interesting answer. Not Persona four. And why was it Persona three, Katie?
2: Um, well, I think that Persona three is a lot darker and I, I mean, Persona four is dark because it's a shimmy, I game, mm-hmm. but I think three thematically is all about death and like the consequences of death. And I've always found that really interesting and I just like the characters in 3 a lot more than 4. Like, I found most of the people in 4 really annoying. No. So, it's kind of like...
0: <laughs> Nani's gonna start crying. Don't do that to her.
2: <laughs> I, I, I don't hate 4. I still think 4 is a great game. It's one of the greatest RPGs ever made. And arguably, I feel like it's probably a better game than 3. But I do love 3 more, just personally, I guess.
1: I can appreciate that viewpoint, because uh, just certain games, even if they're mechanically inferior, sometimes they just have that special spark that really drives it home for you. Mm
0: -hmm. It occupies a special place in your heart, and Mm -hmm. that is totally okay. Uh, Nadia, like, some of the differences, like, between Persona 3 and Persona 4, um, I mean, like, in a basic structural level, it's quite similar actually you have a uh, protagonist a silent protagonist coming into a new school in this case it's more of an urban setting than in persona 4 which is like a lot more rural yeah Um, but instead of having people get you know thrown into televisions um (laughs) there's a kind of like a midnight hour or like a a period of time a dark hour where like everybody disappears into coffins or something and Those who don't disappear into coffins kind of get attacked by these shadows.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's very much the same idea.
0: Somewhat, yes. Um, But also, there's a tower called the Tartarus where the school should be. Right. And your goal is to get to the top of the Tartarus. And Mm -hmm. a lot of what is driving kind of the central mystery of Persona 3 is what is on the top of that tower? Right.
1: Right. So it's kind of the same structure where you have that central mystery and uh, the game revolves around solving it.
0: A little bit, uh, Persona Four, you know, like it's a whodunit, right? Exactly. Like you're going, but it also puts it puts a ton of this, really, really supernatural aspect into Persona Four. Um, mm-hmm. Where Persona Three, um, it it puts a much heavier emphasis on the supernatural part. Right. And Katie, like kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but I sort of feel like the kind of one of the central themes is destiny. Um, where like you're hurtling toward a fate, maybe a, a bad fate that you can't stop. You can only kind of inexorably continue to move toward it. Is, am I wrong in kind of remembering that?
2: No, I, I totally see that in persona three. And I think, cause and 4, like, your main dungeon kind of changes throughout the game, whereas 3, it's pretty much always the Tartarus. Like, you're mm-hmm. always climbing that Tartarus, and the it gets kind of repetitive in that way because every floor basically kind of looks the same, and right. you just kind of face bosses as you progress. But, and it's also, like, the kind of, like, end-of-the-world thing. Like, that's always kind of, like, the main thing you're trying not to <laughs> let happen, which is such a typical JRPG thing. Like, oh, you don't want the world to end, but... Yeah, I definitely see destiny as a primary theme with three, whereas with four, it's just like, "Who's this murderer? Let's figure it out."
1: And that's uh, that's interesting about uh, the Tartarus and three, because one of the the things I really like about four is how different the dungeons are. I mean, I just went through the uh, Void dungeon, mm-hmm. which is based around a retro game,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I thought that was a lot of fun.
0: Okay, so r- really quickly, Nadia, like, where exactly are you in the game? Uh, well, as
1: I said, I did the Void Dungeon, which was based around, like, uh, a Dragon Quest game, sort of, so of course I liked it. But um, I caught someone who says they're the killer, but probably is not, because the game is maybe halfway over at this point. So I'm guessing there's a little more to it than that. <laughs> uh, he sure looks creepy, don't get me wrong, he looks like he's capable of ki- of killing a few people, but he-, he also seems like the kind of person who's who says, oh yeah, I did it, because he's really lonely and wants attention. So... Uh, yeah, that's where I am for now. Also, I cooked omelets. <laughs> <laughs> I cooked omelets and it went really badly for everybody, especially Nanako, because she had to eat them all.
0: Stop cooking, Nadia. Oh, God. <laughs> Katie, have you ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer?
2: I have not.
0: I recommend that you watch it because it's really good. And the reason okay. that I bring it up is <laughs> that it's actually pretty similar to Persona 4, um, in that you i mean you could almost say that it's like a combination of like Persona 3 and Persona 4 in that you have characters who are kind of railroaded into doing something that they don't necessarily want to do uh mm-hmm. in supernatural forces uh, again in the context of supernatural forces which is kind of Persona 3 ish um but also puts a big um focus on you know Persona 4 uh, sorry uh Buffy the Vampire Slayer is just mostly a metaphor for being in high school right like Mm -hmm. high school is hell that is like (laughs) the central thesis of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Persona 4 and Persona 3 are very similar in that regard in that it is all about growing up it's all about like the relationships that you make um I think in my opinion maybe Persona 4 handles the latter aspect better um uh, like, I know that you were saying, Katie, that you didn't particularly like the the characters of Persona 4, but I, I suppose that um, I felt the bonds between all the different characters a lot more strongly than in Persona 3, where um, characters like, um, uh, I, I can't remember who the main character is, the perfect girl who's like in charge of the student council and everything. Like, they almost feel... They don't feel like real people. They feel like kind of like anime characters. Mm-hmm. Like, even more so than usual. Like, you have the silver-haired guy who's like kind of a boxer. And then you have the perfect <laughs> student council president. And you have a dog. And you have a robot. And a it's dog like, is okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, this is... It's like a fun cast, but it doesn't ring quite as true as Persona 4.
2: Yeah. I I guess I, I can see that criticism, but I feel like that I can deflect that back on the four. Like, Yukiko is just... That's, tip atyp- or like the typical shy hey hey don't talk don't talk shit
1: about my waifu here
2: <laughs> <laughs> i really don't like yukiko no Aww, she's so and sweet how can
0: you not like yukiko she's great I, she's
2: just like i've seen her in so many like i've just seen that character so many times i'm just bored of it i don't know like there there's dif- i really like Rize, and then like there's other there's other characters that i don't hate I mean, I don't really like Teddy either. I find Teddy really annoying. So, mm. <laughs> I like I don't know. how fishy it's just like, he is. <laughs> He's so yeah. cute
1: in his human form.
2: Yeah, he's super cute. I wish he was just that and not a bear. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, his name but, is Teddy.
2: Yeah, it's true.
0: Uh, what speaks to you about the Persona 3 cast in particular, Katie?
2: I, I like how boring the main character is he's just like a blank slate and then or importable hmm. or like you know sh- you can play as a girl and then i i don't know i just feel like the central trio of god i can't remember any names right now and this is terrible
0: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> okay, or
2: yeah yeah i really like junpei as like the annoying sidekick guy like i feel like he's mm-hmm. annoying in a good way where you don't hate him he's just like very endearing whereas is it Yos- y- yosuke Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't really like him, so it's kind of like, maybe it's just like a bias of like not, I don't know, it's just, I've never, I didn't feel like I grew really attached to four, even though maybe they go through more as like a team, as like, you know, they're like an investigation team, they're like trying to solve these crimes, whereas in three, it's like, we're just climbing this tower, so it's like the... Build to that bond is probably more present in four, but I think I just enjoy the social links of three more.
0: Yeah, Persona Three has a more of an apocalyptic feel to it as well. Um, yeah. You were mentioning that you're always trying to save the world. And like, like the kind of the apocalypse has always been a kind of a central theme of Shimagami Tensei, like going back to the very beginning of the series. So in that case, in in that mm-hmm. sense, it's maybe a little more faithful to the kind of the core of the series and like Persona 4 kind of spins off in a different direction where the, I mean, strictly speaking, the world is never, the world is never in danger. To yeah. Recollection. It's mostly about um, uh, Inaba. Yeah. Right. Like making sure that the, the that the killer does not get away mm-hmm. with what they are doing. Um, so in that sense, I suppose like the stakes of Persona 3 feel a lot greater, but uh, you know, there are like so many different there's so many different stories about the apocalypse and like the end of the world and destiny and everything. Yeah. It's sort of refreshing to me uh to have kind of a supernatural who done it in Persona Four.
1: Yeah, I agree because um as you say, uh, apocalyptic stories are a dime a dozen in, in especially in JRPGs, but uh as someone who grew up in the city that there's something really interesting about seeing a small town fall apart because of these these horrible murders that no one can really get to the bottom of, and uh, that's just, like, uh, something you don't see very much in video games.
0: Yeah, and I think that it it was a bit novel for me because, I mean, I lived in Japan, but I never, like, I never spent that much time in kind of a small town, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it was a really different perspective uh, for me. Like, I was like, oh, like, it's not just like hanging out in Tokyo or whatever, like here is a small town and this is what like life there is kind of like. And uh, I, I think you really, it does a really good job of conveying kind of the close-knit community. Um, right. And how things like, you know, Juness can come in there and like and totally just de- upend yeah. everything.
1: and just kind of destroy everyone's small businesses. Because I was talking to you in a previous episode about that. Uh, just I wasn't sure about what the situation was in Japan about like how big retail effect smaller mm-hmm. retail and so that was really that was really interesting for me
0: the good news is you don't have to choose which game you play you can play both of them you're you kidding can play me both persona 3 and persona 4 and persona 1 and 2 if that's kind of your jam though they are very different games from persona 3 uh katie did you ever play one and two i've always wanted
2: to but i've heard since they're so different i'm kind of yeah, I'm. I'm, one, I'm wondering if it, it's worth it to play them, or if it'll be a phobia thing where I just bounce off of it really
0: quickly. Mm-hmm. I know that there are people who are going to tell you that yeah, you should absolutely play Persona One and Two, <laughs> and that they prefer them to uh, Persona Three and Four. Um, I think that's a taste thing. Uh, Persona One and Two, I found maybe a little a little too dated, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, people there are people who are hardcore RPG fans who like really don't give a crap about how dated a game particularly looks. Yeah, uh, it, it's a matter of taste. Like I like the style of Persona Three and Four, especially Four, especially for Golden. <laughs> I mean, uh, Katie, you're um you're a designer, like you can like kind of appreciate like how gorgeous Persona Four Golden is from like a design standpoint, right?
2: Yeah, totally. I think that's one of the reasons why I've always been drawn to the Persona series is there's like a design element there that's really not present in most like not just JRPGs, but just like games in general. Yeah, it's like, a very
1: stylish game. Very yeah, stylish it's series. Super stylish. Like even even the menus have so much effort put into every single command.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And that's like doubly the case with Persona Five. Like it almost mm-hmm. hurts how <laughs> how gorgeous <laughs> that game is like it's almost too much uh, i'm really interested to see how that bears up over the course of like 100 hours yeah <laughs>
1: all these color choices why did you do this
0: uh, katie like having played persona 3 um which one do you recommend do you pre- would, would you recommend fez or would you recommend persona 3 portable <sighs> that's
2: such a hard thing i I like how you have the option to play as a girl in portable and Hmm. you have more agency over your characters because like in Fez, it's like automated except for your character, Mm -hmm. which is like a bad thing, in my opinion. Uh, And 4 changes that, obviously. And then portable changes that too. But also I feel like it's more of visual novely in a way it's not you don't you're not like walking around the mm. environments as much in portable so you're kind of losing that aspect of it and i feel like i don't know probably, i'd probably recommend Fez over portable even though portable also has plus sides to it but
0: yeah i th- i thought that i wouldn't care about losing the ability to actually walk around because in the end of the day like you're still just kind of navigating a menu right yeah but I was surprised how disconnected it made me feel from the town. Yeah, totally. And the people. um, Because it was a point and click game all of a sudden. Um, Like, I am of the mind that it is the best way to experience Persona 3, but it's not perfect, which is why I've been like going, come on, give me a Persona 3 HD for God's sake, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd play that. (laughs) God, like, I would be happy to revisit it. It If anything, I feel like Persona 4 has gotten a ton of traction over the past few years because that's been the one that's been kind of the most accessible Mm -hmm. and the most modern where Persona 3 has fallen back a little bit because, well, the best version you're going to get is probably Persona 3 Portable. And a lot of people don't seem to even realize that you can get that on your Vita. Yeah, We will continue our discussion of Persona 4 Golden next week, but it's It's interesting to have a Persona 3 proponent on the staff because I sort of feel like Persona 3 has fallen, kind of fallen away a little bit. Like, even people I knew who are, like, 100% Persona 3 for a long time, like, have kind of gone over to Persona 4. Um, Have have you kind of perceived that, Katie?
2: Definitely. I feel like back when I first played Persona 3, there was a lot of fans for it, but then 4 came out, and I feel like everyone was just like, yeah, 4 is better. Which, I mean, technically, I think it is, but I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing. I feel like people only really care about 4 and kind of forget about 3.
1: Yeah, I remember when everyone was talking about 3, and it just seemed to to fall into a ditch when 4 came out.
2: Mm -hmm. And it was pretty soon after, too, so it was kind of like... 3 got left to the wayside pretty quickly. Mm-hmm.
0: So my my view, my standpoint, and maybe this was because I had people who argued really hotly for 3, was that 3 came out, like, it had a ton of fans, like, that was when Persona and SMT really sort of, kind of, became started to become a thing here in the US.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would say
0: that. And then Persona 4 came out, like, not long after. Like, it came out in 2008. And... Uh, the people who really enjoyed 3, like, li- like at least the ones that I knew, were like, uh, this game's too yellow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, that is literally the criticism that I heard. And, you know, like, in fairness, like, the all of the yellow is a bit distracting at first. Yeah.
1: There is a lot of yellow.
0: There is a lot of yellow in that game. And then... And, like, I remember, like, the first time I played Persona 4 being like, oh, like, the structure doesn't work as well as 3. Like, I, I prefer the structure of 3. And to some extent, I still do. But then Persona 4 Golden came out, and that was when everybody kind of flipped. Mm-hmm. At least that was my perspective. But in any case, you go to Japan, <laughs> there's Persona 4 stuff everywhere and no Persona 3 things at all.
2: Ah, yeah, Yes, super true.
0: Poor Persona 3. But we, it is nice to have an advocate for the game on the staff. But yeah, let's keep going. All right, let's get to the main topic. Uh, Our Horizon Zero Dawn review. Um, As many people know, uh, Katie reviewed Horizon Zero Dawn. And she gave it a pretty low score. Um, So one thing that I want to address is that US Gamer has a five-star system, and we do not take Metacritic into account when we are scoring our games. And I encouraged Katie to use the entirety of the scale, and she did. Mm -hmm. Um, She was kind of underwhelmed by Horizon Zero Dawn, and I... Having played it some myself, um, I can actually pretty much agree with her perspective. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn is certainly a technical marvel. Um, It's gorgeous. Uh, But I feel like it's really shallow. And I think that is a thing that really carries on through the entirety of it. Um, And the fact that not only does it never really grow beyond kind of the beginning, it seems to actually get worse like is it fair to say katie that like the back half of the game really drags horizon zero dawn down
2: definitely i feel like 15 hours in i was kind of expecting it to wind down like you have like this big revelation in the story which i'm embargoed from talking about but there's um, a ton of
0: embargo stuff on that game it's kind of ridiculous
2: like writing a review is really hard because i had to dance around all these things i could not talk about but yeah, it hits this, and then it, it hits this point and then it kind of plateaus entirely. Like, not just, like, in terms of story, but in terms of mission variety and everything. It's just like, okay, I'm doing the same thing for like 15 more hours. And at that point, you're already at a point where you can pretty much have the third tier. Cause there's, so there's three tiers of weapons you can have. There's, I think, Nor, or Nora, which is like the weakest or whatever. And then I think, Karja, and then Shadow Karja, which is, like, very rare. It's, like, a purple color-coded thing. So, basically, at that point in the game, you have all these really strong weapons, and there's not really any sense of progression in terms of leveling up. Like, when you level up, your health meter goes up, and that's really it. So, it's like, you already have all the strongest weapons. You're already at a point where you, like, think, okay, I'm as strong as I can be. I'm, like, very OP. Like, I'm taking down things with, like, not a thought. And then you're just doing the same thing for 15 more hours and it's a huge bummer.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of people who were like, well, why aren't you talking more about the like the actual kind of strategy to it? And like initially there is strategy, right? Like I, I suppose there's a bit where like you're using traps to take down enemies, but mm. it feels like that really falls way into the back half of the game where, like, you're able to, like, really just kind of roll things um, without, like, much problem, and you no longer have to even really use any of the tactics that are actually available to you.
2: Yeah, like, I... So there's pretty much two weapons I use throughout the whole game. There's, like, a trip caster, which is, like, you set a trip mine, basically, where if Mm an enemy's running towards you, you just shoot that really quick, and it will trip over it, and then its weaknesses will be exposed, and... One of the first abilities I maxed out was this, like, you zoom in and, like, time slows down a bit, so it's kind of like a slow zoom, and then you can max that out so you have, like, a few seconds, like, a pretty long time to be able to, like, fling arrows at people or uh, things and robots. And when you go into your focus mode, which is kind of like your Batman detective mode, (laughs) you, like, everything that's weak is, like, bright yellow. So you basically just you zoom in really for a long time, you shoot all their weaknesses, they fall off, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, there's not really any strategy to it because it's like, I have, like, I maxed out this ability so I have so much time to take down this thing. And, yeah. Yeah,
0: they were really kind of at pains to, uh, I suppose, limit the RPG-ishness of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which I should say that that's not, a good thing or a bad thing it's a thing like that developers <laughs> yeah. are doing they they like to co-opt rpg elements uh to give it kind of a veneer of death and depth um <laughs> but in the case of horizon zero dawn it's like oh yeah you have like loot and it's different colors um you have skill trees ish um you but like we really go out of our way to like h- for example hide the stats oh really um and make them like really like you can kind of see stats a little bit. I think there's a elemental aspect to the game. Am I right, Katie?
2: Yeah, there's like some enemies that are weak to like fire or like ice things. And then you have like different arrows or like bombs and traps and stuff that can like expose those weaknesses. But yeah, I don't think that comes into play too often. And like, in most cases, you can kind of, you're just strong enough and you can just kill them anyways, so
0: yeah uh, the actual open world has you know a lot of kind of the cliches of open world design like Mm -hmm. again maybe not good or bad like collecting stuff and crafting um it's a thing it's like reasonably well executed but uh, i can see like why people would start to think that feel like that's a tiny bit cliche but Mm -hmm. even if Even if like you are like, what, I'm totally on board with this, like whatever, like collecting things and crafting things. That's awesome. Uh, I don't think that it necessarily just adds to the game. I think like it's kind of a a neutral thing, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, you are using the thing that everybody uses when you're creating this game. That's fine, whatever. it. I suppose is a fairly competently executed um, open world game if like pretty linear, right?
2: I, it's it's hard to call it linear but there's mm-hmm. it holds your hand a lot and i feel like the main missions are definitely linear whereas like i mean the open world itself is just like typical open world stuff from getting to and from places but it's a lot of like you're gonna they throw you into like a boss fight where you're in a big arena and you run in a circle and you set traps or you set trips and then you shoot things or it's like Okay, I have to take out everyone in this like very small room, and it's just it's weird because like the rest of the game is not really like that, except for the main missions, which just like put you in these really like linear situations.
0: Let's talk really interest really quickly about a thing that I found really interesting about your review, um, which was kind of the motivation of the main character, and you are of the opinion. That they did not do a great job of figuring out what the motivations of uh, Aloy should actually be. Um, and that that kind of comes into play in the side quests in the respect of you're trying to figure out, like, why exactly she would be taking on these side quests outside of, well, it's a video game, so I guess she should be doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it I've mentioned this, like, in, I think, a hyperlink, because I don't want to, like... I've always hesitated to, like, straight up call out another game in my review, because, like, I don't think it's really fair to compare it to another game, but Horizon was reminding me so much of things The Witcher 3 was doing really well, which is, it creates a purpose for the reason why you're doing all these side missions. It's like, you're you're a Witcher, you're doing a job still, and Aloy's on this big quest... To, like, find the answers. I'm trying to speak very vaguely. She's, like, trying to find the answers to, like, things. And it just didn't make... There's not really a reason for her to go helping out all these random people. Especially because she was so bitter from her childhood, which is established in, like, the first hour of, like... She was, like, alienated as a kid. Like, literally a kid. And people were really terrible to her because she was, like, quote-unquote an outcast. But things happen. And then she gets over it. For no reason except for like a few instances where she randomly gets really angry again and it's just really <laughs> weird i'm like where was this the whole game like you've been totally fine but now you're mad again yeah. it's like really weird
0: i'm kind of interested in your perspective on this as well as nadia like well at what point does the not does the narrative have to justify the mechanics i wonder like is it okay just to be like to kind of take things at face value and go well an rpg should have side quests and i don't really necessarily care about the motivations of the character um like it i'm just going to do the side quests like i i accept that there are some like mechanical concessions to be made
1: i i am definitely uh the kind of person who's easygoing when it comes to those concessions um Although it's a lot easier when your protagonist is kind of a silent cipher to begin with, it doesn't sound like Alloy is that at all. So that is kind of strange. I, I can see where Katie is coming from. Uh, what really kind of makes me curious about this whole game—I haven't played it at all, but—and um, I still plan to. But it, it just sounds like a you know like a perfectly pleasant open-world game. No problem with that. But I just don't understand like what it what it is that is making everyone, all the other reviewers, go completely gaga about it instead of just giving it like, oh, seven, eight, you know, go on their merry way. Uh, I, I just, I haven't really nailed that down yet from any of the reviews I've read.
0: I mean, it's pretty. Oh, no, it is very, very, pretty. very pretty. Yeah,
2: it's pretty. It's safe. I don't know. Another thing about, like, Aoi's, like, character motiva- motivations is I feel like the game and the story and whatnot, like, positions, like, her story so strongly, like, and I can't really talk about why, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, and that's, I think, why it bothered me so much, like, the lack of, like, they made the story so important in this game, but they didn't really take the time to, like, craft Aloy as a character, or, right. like, make her motivations, like, feel, like, worthwhile outside of the core narrative, so...
1: Yeah, because it's like, if you have Link or the Dragonborn, it's just like, you know, you gotta save the world, and it's like, okay, I can accept that, but if you, yeah, have,
2: exactly. if you
1: have a character who's supposed to be developed and have motivations and have, you know, as you say, things she's irritated about because of the way she was treated as a child, that, that's a little different. You have to really kind of follow up on that.
0: Yeah. I find that aspect really interesting, um, and like, I've been trying to think of, like, in other RPGs, like, with side quests and things, where, like, where, um, for example, uh, like this would be a problem. And like, I was thinking about like Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mass Effect, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? Because you're, uh, well, I mean, in a lot of cases, like you're going and trying to, rec- like in the case of Mass Effect 2, you're trying to recruit uh, people to your cause. Right. And you're like flying from planet to planet and you're getting like uh, strange readings on your sensors and you like want to go check out check them out, right? Like, there's a reason for you to be doing this thing. And as you were saying, uh, Katie, Witcher 3, it's your job. Yeah. So I've never actually, like, given some thought about, like, the motivations for taking on side quests. And I'm really interested to go back to, like, some other RPGs and think about, like, how mechanical, like, a construct that actually is. That you're, like, suddenly taking on random jobs for people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a thing the thing that goes back man. to like the freaking beginning of history, uh, the beginning of RPG history, because it was like, it was a and d thing, right? Yeah. Um, the thing with Horizon Zero Dawn uh, that at the end of the day gave me the most pause was when you were saying that you're fighting the same boss like multiple times, like four times. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, God, no, not that. Oh <laughs> ah, God, it's the worst thing.
2: It's so it's so bad. It's like the same. It's just this really big machine, and every time you face it, there's something new. It's like, oh no, it walks this time. Oh no, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was pretty. I have to say, that was pretty terrible in a Skyward Sword when you had to fight that big stupid brown thing like fifty times. It was awful.
0: Oh no, that thing again! Ah, God, you're giving me PTSD now. <laughs>
1: flashbacks, flashbacks.
0: <laughs> I I think that Horizon Zero Dawn might have this a typical problem that you see in a lot of like these big AAA kind of epics mm-hmm. in that it starts out fairly well um but then towards the back half of the game you start to see a lot of padding mm-hmm. because they're like well l- let's be honest like these really big development teams like they only have a certain amount of time to craft like this incre all of these incredible assets and everything and it's really tough to just, like, carry things forward through 30 hours or more of, like, this beautiful game. Right. And at some point, you got to wrap it up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so you, that is why you often see, like, a lot of AAA games kind of, eh, not having the best endings. And when they do have a really good, like, finale, it's almost a, uh, like, almost a surprise. Um, one of the things that, like, that that makes that's what kind of makes witcher 3 stand out right like that it is so consistent in its quality over the course of such a long time mm-hmm. horizon zero dawn has well frankly like what katie was saying like it plays it really really safe and mm-hmm. like the people i was talking to like it, people are like yeah i think sony is going to be like really in for a surprise like with how this comes out like um i'd say it's a solid 8 out of 10 in terms of like maybe like it's a very safe open world game but then like people are like really outsized in their praise i i I was surprised Mm -hmm. i was pretty pretty surprised um with how glowing the reviews were so Horizon Zero Dawn, everybody. Um, I of applause. Katie was like, eh, "It's not really an RPG. Do we have to talk about this?"
2: <laughs> it really is hardly an RPG. So, take uh, that. like <laughs> you were saying, it's kind <laughs> of like Far
0: Cry, but maybe without the really interesting freedom afforded by Far Cry. Um, yeah. Like some people were comparing it to, like a Ubisoft game, kind of, kind of Assassin's Creedish. Uh, it, it, I feel like maybe it pulls down all of the a lot of the tropes that we've come to see in your fairly standard uh AAA, uh open world action game. Um, mm-hmm. I think the thing that initially attracted me the most was it had robot dinosaurs. Like that was the most interesting. Yeah, thing and to that's about a pretty it. big
1: selling point, I have to say.
0: Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I mean, it's fairly fun to play and uh, to fight against these things. Um, which is why, like it was a drag to me to find out that the enemy variety kind of ran out um, mm-hmm. later in the game That's and that great. the encounters become a lot more repetitive and a lot less interesting and that the tactics fall away and that you're able to like basically roll through so much and I'm like, oh, yeah. really? Oh, man. Like So I was hoping for a much more tactically interesting game or just an interesting game in general, like from a <laughs> mechanical standpoint than what we ultimately got and I guess my like my impression of a game that like is gorgeous, but ultimately kind of shallow, like is going to bear up. But uh, Katie, thanks for (laughs) weathering the storm. Yes. Um, Thank you for enduring all that. But uh, Katie McCarthy, we can read more of your work over on us gamer. And uh, I would recommend people check out your uh, little bit that you wrote, like on the first couple days that you were there about Yakuza zero and food. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed writing that because I was playing Yakuza 0 before I got this job and I hadn't been able to write about it. So I'm glad I got the opportunity to.
0: Everybody seems to love Yakuza 0 because uh, there are so many gifs out there now Mm -hmm. of of the main character, like just throwing people through windows or like just generally being crazy. Uh, It's actually pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to play it myself, but I've watched my husband play it a bit.
0: We haven't talked about it on the podcast, so like, r- give me, give us your thirty second recommendation of Yakuza Zero.
2: Um, it's really good. It's like nothing else I've ever played. I played a bit of Five, but I like Zero a lot more because this is a game that like really acknowledges how weird side missions can be <laughs> and makes them worthwhile and really fun and all really unique and varied. And the main story, the core story and drama, is really good and it it's pretty crazy and that's my recommendation i guess
0: all right then katie mccarthy we will talk to you later
2: all right see
0: ya. and we're back thanks to katie mccarthy for coming on and talking about horizon zero dawn um you know, uh, apologies for not going super in-depth into the story, but unfortunately we really can't because, like, Sony's, mm-hmm. like, so stringent on on embargoes, <laughs> <laughs> but so it goes. Um, I think the, can't, you know, Nadia, I think the biggest shame about this whole thing is, like, how obsessed people are with outliers. Um,
1: yeah, th- th- that's what struck me as, I don't want to say weird because I've seen this before, but, um it's like I said in the comments of the story itself, it's funny, the day that the review landed, I had just seen The Founder, which was a, a really good movie about Ray Kroc, uh, the, the franchisee of McDonald's. And um, I really liked the movie, and most people really liked the movie, but then I just happened to stumble across the review by The Guardian, and they really didn't like it. So, But I, it didn't really register. It's like, oh, okay, well, here, here's one guy who didn't like the movie. Big deal. Life goes on. It's But of course, uh, you don't pay, like, hundreds of dollars to go see a movie. So maybe that's it.
0: I, I, I'm i sort of of like, I, I think the thing that has really like stuck with me is like the, one of the reasons I hired Katie was because like, I really liked her voice and I really liked mm-hmm. that she had interesting opinions on things. And I really liked that she backed up those with uh, opinions with really nuanced analysis. Yes. And that's like a thing that I, I like to have on the site. Like it's good. To I have. was like, Yes, uh, this is like the voice that I want US Gamer to have like really smart, critical reviews. And like, if this has shown me anything, like, maybe there's no room for that in this space. Like, maybe, like, it doesn't matter what you write, or what you say, like, if you give the game, quote, unquote, the wrong review, like the wrong score, you're just going to get murdered. Well, I read Katie's review and I was like, I I can't see this as being lower. I can't see this being higher than a three. Yeah. Like I was like, it it was a pretty scathing review and I I mostly agreed with it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like having played it, I was like, oh, well, that's too bad. But I guess it is a 2.5. Yeah. But of course, it's an outlier and it's and everybody else was like. Everybody else who was on Metacritic was super positive on it. And I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. So we have a different opinion. But you can't have a different opinion in games. That is not allowed.
1: No, apparently not. And uh, But you know what? You kind of may as well, as, as I say, uh, you're hung for a, a lamb, same as a sheep. But, because um, even if a ga- you give a game like a really high score, uh, and maybe not everyone gives the, the game a high score you're going to get accused of being in the publisher's pocket. So th- there's really no winning from yeah. losing.
0: No, there absolutely isn't. And yeah, in the, th- I've been doing this for a little while now. And I remember like reviewing Halo 4 and going, huh, that wasn't very good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and like the people I talked to were going, oh, that was, that was all right. And I'm like, oh, this game's not going to get very good reviews. And then it got like freaking nines, nines and tens across the boards and A's. And I'm like going, what? <laughs> like the re- these super glowing reviews, and I really could not figure it out. And I, I gave it a pretty like. I, I remember I gave it a middling review for Shack News, but because we didn't score it, like I, nobody noticed or cared. Yeah, yeah. And like in, and now in hindsight, all the fanboys are like, oh, Halo Four, eh, don't like it. Um, same, same goes for like Skyward Sword. Like, I, I really am not looking forward to uh any Zelda review ever mm-hmm. because there's literally no way that you can give it lower than a like a 4.5 because yeah. like if you do like here come here come the trolls like <laughs> here they're, they're kicking down your door i gave i gave skyward sword like a four out of five on GamePro. Mm-hmm. and oh my god I oh, you you would this? have thought I had killed like, somebody's like newborn child <laughs> and, and even my like my friend back in Minnesota goes well, you can't give a Zelda game like a B come on it's Zelda
1: well look at uh, Jeff Gertzman's 8.8 still lives in infamy
0: 8.8 8.8 that, that was eight. for
1: I, Twilight Princess if I'm not mistaken and to this day I still say to my husband 8.8 never forget
0: 8.8 was too high <laughs> <laughs>
1: I like Twilight Princess, and you I, know what, hey,
0: you know what I like Twilight Princess eight out of ten is a good score,
1: yeah, eight out of ten is a great score. um, I think eight point eight is pretty suitable.
0: I think it goes to show that review scores don't mean anything anymore because they've been so inflated mm-hmm. uh like people just aren't willing to use the entirety of the review scale uh because the mindset is metacritic, Metacritic has set the score. And, like, for as much as people complain about the so-called 7 to 10, like, if you go outside of that, uh You'll people, get death threats. W- yeah, you get death threats. Actual you death get, threats. People lose their mind. <laughs> um, th- I- I'm not going to lie. This has been a really disheartening experience for me. Um I, I don't know, like, it... I've always known that this is like the case with gamers, but man, did it really drive it home.
1: Well, it was also kind of a perfect storm because as you say, it was a console exclusive and everyone said this game is great. And Kay said, "Eh, it's not that great. And so it was like, you know, stone the heretic, the heretic, you know.
0: Biggest console exclusive of a generation. Like, I feel like everybody was rooting for it to succeed. And I think Mm -hmm. it's going to succeed. It's going to sell, like, gangbusters. It's going to get a sequel. I mean, what do do people want? It's it's gorgeous. (laughs) That
1: is kind of it. What do people want? Uh, One thing I remember from, actually, when I used to read GamePro... Uh, is uh, Mega Man X4 for the PlayStation got, like, almost a perfect score. And then someone else reviewed the game for Saturn and gave it, like, barely above average and said this is, like, you know... And to be fair, the review was bad because he was like, why do we need 2D games in this 3D world, blah, 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 blah. And it was, you know, just kind of a a crappy opinion. But the point is, it made me realize, okay, different reviewers are going to have different opinions on things, and, and that's okay, like, people were saying, oh, how come you gave Double Dragon 4 a 3 and you gave this a 2.5? And it's like, you can't really stack them up the same way, people.
0: So it goes. Um, I think the the right solution is to get re- rid of review scores. <laughs>
1: I, I won't wait for them. <laughs> Put it that way. If we're Indeed. not mature enough to handle numbers, then, uh, okay, we're not going to work with numbers anymore.
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I just want the discourse to stop getting lost um, over a arbitrary number. Yeah, like, yeah. Which, let's be honest, it's a really arbitrary number.
1: hmm it's, it's really hard to, to quantify things, like games.
0: It is. But let's talk about something a little happier, Nadia.
1: Yeah, let's talk about a 10 out of 10 game <laughs> called Chrono Trigger. Yeah. And that deserves yeah. every 10 out of 10.
0: Yeah. Wow, Nadia. Wow. <laughs> um, I have a cat who is rubbing against my microphone at the moment. Um... Hello, Hamish. He is very excited too. Uh, so, okay. So, I started playing Chrono Trigger. I, I, I've been in Europe for the past couple weeks. Um, I started playing Chrono Trigger as I promised in a previous episode, and mm-hmm. I am legitimately shocked how good it is. Like, yep. I mean, okay. It's one thing to like hear all the outsized praise for it. Um, all of the people are like, "Oh, this game is incredible." Yeah, that's fine and all, right? And, like, mm-hmm. you hear that about a lot of games. Uh, mm-hmm. People say that about Ocarina of Time all the dang time. And it's, a, don't get me wrong, it's a brilliant game. Um, probably the best N64 game. Uh, probably deserves to be in the top 25 games of all time. But, like, in some respects, I'm, like, going.
1: Oh, I was going to say, uh, Ocarina of Time, I don't think I'd, I don't really have any huge desire to go back to it, but Chrono mm-hmm. Trigger, I still pick up once in a while to, and play through it.
0: Yeah, that's my point. It was like Ocarina of Time, like, okay, yeah, but this game really feels like it came from nineteen ninety uh whatever year it came out, ninety-eight. Uh 98. where Chrono Trigger, how well crafted it is. It's how, very timeless. How gorgeous it is, how good the soundtrack is. Oh, um, it's fantastic. How good, how good the battle system is. Like mm-hmm. outside of some like very minor pacing issues, this game really doesn't have many weaknesses.
1: No. Although uh, when I talking about fanboyism again, uh, when I was in part of that B, that BBS, I talked about, um, there were arguments over like how terrible it was next to Final Fantasy VI, which was a stupid, stupid argument. And looking back on it, I just want to hit myself for even reading that. <laughs>
0: um, I think both Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger are really amazing games that you oh, should absolutely. play and enjoy. I think Chrono Trigger is better. I've, At I've least had so that- far.
1: Yeah, I've had that debate with myself before, and uh, I think I would just barely have to give the edge to Chrono Trigger because even though it does have pacing issues, I think Six's pacing issues are a little more problematic.
0: But the thing is, the pacing issues aren't that bad. Like I'm playing through them right now. Um, The future was. eh, I I I think that's been my least favorite part of the game so far. But like, well, that should've been stuck before. But people were also complaining about um, the whole Masamune quest for Frog. I never and you found that too bad. I didn't find it bad at all. Like the whole uh, the, the quest to like reforge the blade and get Frog out of his funk was like like that was no problem at all because like the the actual elements of the quest were really interesting. Mm-hmm. And like one of the things that I'm sorry I didn't get to during the Horizon Zero Dawn discussion with Katie was um Horizon Zero Dawn has like is, is very fetch questy. Mm-hmm. In the way that it handles things. um, That's what she was kind of referring to when she called Aloy like everybody's hunting cat. Yeah. Where like in Witcher 3, like the side quests are beautifully realized and really like really interesting and kind of tell their own stories in their own way. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Chrono Trigger. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like even though I'm spending a lot of time going through <laughs> and looking for like. Uh, a piece of rock like i'm going back to 65 million bc and like fighting these like reptiles who have like stolen the rock and everything and this was part of the main quest but my point is is that this could have been a lot more boring
1: exactly and it's not just a matter of fetching the the rock from these lizard people you learn how they have this struggle for survival going on between mammals and reptiles and even though okay we know how it's going to work out ultimately it's still really interesting to follow
0: but I got as far as the Fiend Lord's Keep. Um, and in the Fiend Lord's Keep, there is a, a a sequence that I just adore and really hammers home to me everything that I really like about Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And that's the entire battle with Ozzy. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you, when I fought Ozzy as a kid, I kept attacking his shield like an idiot. I didn't realize he had to like attack the, the winches to, to get him to fall down his own trap.
0: Yeah, he's totally like, <laughs> uh, you're attacking the wrong one, man. <laughs> what but the whole point is, it's like, the boss battle is actually like the entire sequence where he's like setting off traps and like trying to stop you. Mm-hmm. And that would not have worked. It wouldn't have really worked in like a traditional turn-based RPG like Final Fantasy VI with random encounters. For yeah, one thing... Right. For one thing, it would have been a pain in the ass to mm-hmm. keep getting thrown down to the bottom of a pit. Oh, I mean, it was yeah. kind of annoying anyway, but it would have been even worse if it had been random encounters.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: But at the same time, like having enemies actually on the screen, which by the way, the sprites in that game are so good.
1: Aren't they awesome? Uh, like I was saying, games like uh, Chrono Trigger and Enemy make me kind of really depressed how you will never see sprites like that ever again.
0: Oh, that's not true. Um, there's some amazing sprites in Shovel Knight.
1: You got a point there. Okay, I, I will concede to that. But just in general, that sort of gritty, uh, jaggedness that's beautiful and its primitiveness, you don't yes. really get that so much anymore.
0: My cat has some very strong opinions on this front. As he should. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like having that stuff on the screen is really... like It it, it just works, and it mm-hmm. makes the encounters like, feel... A lot more seamless it, it kind of has the best of both worlds in terms of having enemies on the screen but also having um, a traditional turn-based battle system and I, I think it's great
1: yeah it is um, actually have you defeated Magus yet
0: I have defeated Magus yes
1: so um, one thing I really like about his keep is just that real uh, meshing of it, it's really creepy I mean you do have that bit with Ozzy which is hilarious but It's just such a... One of the most atmospheric dungeons I've ever been in an RPG, especially when you're, like, doing the Final Descent down to... I totally agree. Yeah. Down to Magus himself. And just, like, how Mm -hmm. the music cues up as you're about to fight him. Mm -hmm. It's still... I'd still just love to go back and and listen to that theme. Holy crap.
0: The music is really, 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 really good. Um, It is. I was hanging out with a friend yesterday and singing Chrono Trigger's praises, and he's like, Mitsuda's better than Uematsu. That's a really and controversial
1: like, opinion, but I can't really argue too hard against it.
0: <laughs> uh I but you were talking about how atmospheric the Fiend Lord's Keep is. Like the first time you mm-hmm. roll up to the, the door and look up at the uh, look up the tower. Yeah, and the dragons there. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Like and I remember like looking at stuff like it, that in magazines and things and just being kind of blown away by like the yeah. scale of it compared to what was possible in like the NES, like it's such a rich piece of artwork.
1: It is. And it was actually, uh, not to say Final Fantasy VI was a bad-looking game by any means, but that was the first game that made me realize JRPGs did not have to compromise visuals for for gameplay.
0: Absolutely not. Um, I would even go as far as to say that it is one of the best-looking games on the Super Nintendo. Mm, and absolutely. And really, really... <laughs> brings forth everything that is great about that platform. Yes. By by nineteen ninety five, there were a lot of developers like it, it was actually pretty annoying. Like in their quest for like quote unquote more realistic graphics, you were things like seeing things like digitization, which was terrible. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yes. You had um the two point five D perspective of Donkey Kong. Uh, you had a lot of developers using like this really annoying, like heavy guitar riffs, um, mm-hmm. with the SNES sound chip that often sounds like. Mega Man X three
1: was the worst for that. Oh my god.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Chrono Trigger does not fall into any of those traps. And meanwhile no. uses all of the Super Nintendo's uh various tricks. Like the Especially the, now that I'm at a certain point, like, the battle system, like, a lot of the attacks just look great. Oh they do, God. don't they?
1: Like, the spells and the text, especially when you get into the triple attacks, holy crap, they're gorgeous.
0: Oh, um, I'm looking forward to it.
1: It's actually funny. I, I have a certain degree of, uh, what's it called, Synthes- synthasia, where you kind of associate things with colors and sound.
0: Oh, um, you have that.
1: I do. And when I think Chrono Trigger, I just instantly get this in my head that this, this rich blue and this like golden just this rich blue and golden melding and a little bit of red i guess that represents Chrono's hair or something like that but it's just a really pleasant thought to just think back on that game and few very very few games do that for me
0: yeah the colors in that game are extremely rich though i'm sad because i'm playing it on my my ds mm-hmm. and the upscaling is not doing that game a lot of favors and it's kind of making yeah. me wish that i were playing it on um like a traditional super nintendo right now
1: yeah does that i was actually going to ask you does the ds version does that have the new translation um not to say it's bad just
0: my understanding is that they have tweaked at least tweaked the translation a bit
1: yeah because i noticed you're calling him calling it the fiend lord's keep and it's like that's not really what i call it i call it mags's castle
0: <laughs> they called it the fiend lord's cou- so. yeah
1: yeah um does frog have his old-timey english uh dialogue
0: not, to, not that I recall, like, I, I don't think it's, like, super over-the-top, like, um, Dragon Quest.
1: Yeah, because that's how he talked in uh, the original translation. There was, like, from day one, as soon as people realized that they can go on the internet and get angry about translations, there was a lot of debate back and forth about whether or not Woolsey did the right thing with Frog. I I like his, like, really old medieval sort of dialect. He has, like, some pretty good lines out of it.
0: I'm fine with it. I would be fine with it. I don't think that's the case in this one at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be fine with it because one of the things that I like about Crone Trigger the most is this sense of... I I love that you have... People in your party come from all different times.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: So I love that you have, you know, you're like your robot from the future and like your Stone Age lady and you have, well... (laughs) like a fairy tale frog like warrior knight who's been turned into a frog or something It actually
1: reminds me have you have you ever read clan of the cave bear no so you don't know about ayla's uh her namesake then do you no there's a i can't remember the name of the author but clan of the cave bear it's like a whole series about a cave woman named ayla so that's where she comes from uh they're actually the the first book i'm thinking of clan of the cave bear is fantastic you should read it sometime if you have a chance uh the rest of them are mostly um porn (laughs) I don't want to say outright <laughs> porn, but they're very much the the sort of like erotica you find in your mother's bookshelf, and you pick it up and you read it like, whoa, <laughs> I shouldn't mm-hmm. be reading this. But it was actually it's funny because uh, my mom was watching me play uh, the game one day, and she's like, what, Why did they name her Ava?" It's like, wait a minute, I know that.
0: So that was mm. kind of funny. I don't know like how much more I can like sit here and go, "Yep, Chrono Trigger's amazing." Well, it, it's funny uh, because a- I'm actually that li- has been known since 1995.
1: <laughs> well, you haven't even gotten to god the the best parts of the game as far as i'm concerned as far as many people are concerned like god zeal and and the ocean palace and i'm really looking forward to this is kind of like my persona four report for for me Mm. (laughs) i want to hear all about your chrono trigger adventures unfortunately it'll probably be a little shorter it's not a very long game uh but i don't know if you want to go for all the endings you
0: should i'm fine with that i am fine with it being not that long because well first Mm -hmm. of all uh, I have a whole mess of games coming up, including Zelda, um, as well as, uh, well, Persona 5 is coming yeah, up for too long, and I have a few others, so I'm kind of glad that I'm not going to be like roped into playing this game for a very, very long time. Yeah, um, and
1: uh, New Game Plus really makes it easy to go through the games and get all the endings. It, it won't take you too long.
0: Oh, last thing I want to point out, I really like the boss battles so far. Uh, I think that they are so well-constructed, and that really they speaks are. to the strength of the battle system.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, I can't even bring up some of the, the really awesome bosses you'll be going up against, but, uh, yeah, they're all really just big, gorgeous sprites, really memorable boss mm-hmm. music. You can always tell when, like, you're up against a real badass boss because it has that really urgent sort of boss music you got when you're fighting Masamune. Mune.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in initially it seems like it's not going to be that deep. But then stuff like when mm-hmm. you're fighting Magus, um and he uh toward the end of the battle, he starts charging up to yes. use like a super duper attack. Yeah. And like that is your moment when he's charging up to because like his defenses fall to like go all in mm-hmm. with all of your attacks, but you also have to be aware that you're going to have to heal and like fast
1: yeah and it's not like he stops attacking you he still goes after you when he's charging up and he he does the barrier changes too
0: he does the barrier changes which is like super tricky because like I was waiting for see i was using frog um Marla Mar- Marl i i don't know m a r l e her name's um, princess nadia princess nadia okay <laughs> princess nadia um and the main character um whom i named cat and (laughs) like so as a result like i had um see frog and princess nadia have a really strong um water and ice attack that will like like fry most of the screen so i was like leaning on that really heavily Mm -hmm. um for quite a while but then when i was fighting the boss like There was a point, like, I was waiting patiently for the barrier, for Magus's barrier to turn to water so that I Mm -hmm. could do a substantial amount of damage. Um, So that that aspect was really tricky, um, waiting for the right barrier to show up. And then, um, like, basically, like, going, nope, not the right one, switch, switch. (laughs) But every time you switched it, like, he would do a pretty nasty attack. There's a lot of, like, like every battle is complex and interesting and mm-hmm. never just like hack hack slash slash dead spam ultima whatever
1: no in fact one of my favorite boss fights is uh well it's coming up uh but it's very much the same thing where you cannot spam uh the bad guy and if you if you'd even try to to just hack away at him you're gonna die mm. there's there's nothing to it but uh yeah mm. you're in for some
0: good times I am in for some good times. So I'm totally going to play some more you and maybe I'll write some more of, about it on the site. <laughs> Even though like, <laughs> um, oh, like I, I, I like that our, I like that this is basically catnip for a community. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason you can understand now why people love talking about Chrono Trigger all these years later. Um, it's just such a perfect, I think the team was perfect too. Just like Toriyama, Sakaguchi is it, just wonderful.
0: It's fun to go back. Um, it, it's fun to discover a game that everybody really loved from back in the day, mm-hmm. and discover that not only is it everybody is good, that as everybody is saying, that it just really holds up over these years. That you don't have to use your imagination. You don't have to put it into context and go. Exactly. Yeah, this was amazing in 1995. No, you can go. No, this is really amazing now. Holy yeah. crap. Like, it's so well-crafted. Jesus.
1: Have you played Chrono Cross?
0: I have played some Chrono Cross. I've gotten pretty far in it, actually.
1: Yeah, that's a game you can appreciate on its own merits. You don't really have to have Chrono Trigger under your belt to, to play mm-hmm. it. Um, I think it's a great game on its own. Not so great as a Chrono Trigger sequel, but I guess that's a discussion for another time.
0: Indeed. And then another time will have to happen next week because this is the end of our episode. Um, Acts of Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Twitch, uh, Switch, Twitch? <laughs> I don't know, uh, Stitcher, that one. Yes, that, uh, that SoundCloud, one. wherever our uh, RPG podcasts are sold or just podcasts in general. Um, follow us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore catbot. bot. Uh, Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Katie is at Y U M E uh Katie? You make Katie? I think that might be it. I but think so. you should go follow her and be nice to her because um yeah, that like all of the people t- t- a t- a t- bad. Bad. Bad bad gamers. Bad. <laughs> naughty, naughty, <laughs> um, naughty. Naughty, naughty, naughty. We actually have a lot to cover in general because, see, next week, Torment Tides of Numenera is coming out in the same day as Horizon Zero Dawn as it happens. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, we we got Rowan Kaiser reviewing that one for us and he will be on the show, uh, I, I think, maybe next week to talk about it. We recently just also posted a Vagrant Story localization thing. We did um, fantastic interview. It's really fantastic. It's by John Learned, who also did a long one about Final Fantasy XII with Alexander O. Smith. And you should go check it out on the site. Uh, you should go spread its praises on like Reddit and like NeoGaf and stuff because I, I feel like not enough people have seen this thing. And mm-hmm. it's such, it's such an ama- It's such a really well done like walk through essentially of how a game gets translated
1: yeah especially back then when when things were very different in the industry
0: yeah it has a really good kind of like point by point breakdown of like how the the vagrant story script kind of changed became the way that it did yes yeah so you you should go check it out it's on the main page I will have John Learned on next week to talk about it. I'm going to have Steve Tramer on next week. It's going to end up being like a triple length episode. Wow. Guest heavy. Yeah, because uh, next week is GDC and Steve Tramer is going to be in town. We're going to do our now annual, like, let's get together and like talk about RPGs um, over beers, and it's going to be great. I'm going to have Rowan. I'm going to have John Learned. Uh, My God, the Switch is coming out that day. It's gonna oh, be freaking bonkers. my God, next week is gonna be insane. Uh, but then the week after that we'll, we'll have our big Zelda mega cast the week after so you'll mm-hmm. have a little bit of time to play some Zelda before we actually talk about it. which is nice. That is nice because that is a big game. Um, mm-hmm. I made Mike Williams like go away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she did. I- I'm basically filling in for Mike this week.
0: Yeah, it said Mike, go away and play Zelda and also do this and play Switch and just do everything that you can about this system. Um so yeah. Uh right. So we'll be back next week with what is probably gonna be like a two and a half hour podcast. We are back, baby.
2: <laughs> Sorry about
0: the hiatus, uh, but we are locked in and ready to go. Um, and of course, if you have anything that you want to share with us, um send a drop me a line at cat.bailey at us gamer. Dot net and we may read your comments on the show but until then for nadia katie and myself we'll be back again with the same wonderful rpg discussions as always we'll see you then until then happy adventuring